parent with a wayward child, the couple whose marriage is in jeopardy. What do all these people need to hear? Don't give up. That's the message we find in Hebrews chapter 12 and chapter 11. So we're in this series, Keep Fighting, Don't Stop Fighting, Keep Working Through It, Don't Give Up, right? Don't give up, keep fighting. In 2010, 33 miners, uh, Chilean miners, were trapped two miles down on the earth, uh, three miles from the entrance of the mine. The stones that blocked their escape route were twice the size of the Empire State Building. Uh, some estimated their chances of survival and rescue at less than 2%. Those are some pretty crummy odds. And so those men <coughs> did what uh, all people do when they face death. They think about how they lived. They think about who they loved. And they thought about what would happen to those that they loved after they passed away. Now... Those miners weren't necessarily Christians. Matter of fact, most of them weren't, but there was one. There was one man, his name was Jose Enriquez, and he was a Christian. Now, nobody paid attention to his Christianity during the normal business hours, but when you're facing death, the number one person you want to talk to is somebody who knows God, because you're about to meet him. And so, uh, as they have faced death, they... Uh, they asked Jose to pray for them. Now, in this book by Hector Tobar called Deep Down Dark, he tells the story of what took place in that mine. It's a fascinating story. It's been made into a movie now. And so the men came to Jose. He'd been a miner since the 1970s. He's 54 years old. They they didn't go to their lead man. They went to Jose, this Christian man, and they asked him, what should we do? And he said, we need to pray. And they said, okay, we'll pray. And, and Jose said, on one condition, you get on your knees and you humble yourselves before God. And so they got down on their knees. And this is part of Jose's prayer in that desperate hour. He says, we aren't the best of men, but Lord, have pity on us. We are sinners. We need you to take charge of this situation. And so they continued to pray for a while. Of course, there was weeping. And then when they finished, the men looked at Jose and they said, what do we do now? And he says, I suggest you confess your sins. And so they begin to confess. And some confess their alcoholism or addictions. You know, some confess not being the best dad or best parent. Some confess never believing in God, never going to church, those kinds of things. The kinds of things that you might expect minors to confess when they're facing death. And so in that moment, they cried out to God for help in the deep, in the down, and in the dark, the bottom of the earth. They began to ask God for hope because that was the only hope they could have. They needed outside help. Our desperate moments are profound opportunities for God to do amazing things. The worst the circumstance, the greater God shows up. It's just that way. It just works that way. 
Soren Kierkegaard in his book, The Sickness Unto Death, says this. In those moments when you have nothing left to cling to and the only hope you have is in something outside yourself, that is the opportunity to discover God's power and presence in a way you never experienced before. Desperate situations are an invitation to God's unexpected blessings. Throughout the Bible, the God's most compelling servants rise up from a place of defeat. Those are excellent words from the Christian philosopher. And so today you might find yourself not in a mine, but you're in a deep, dark, down place. And what's trapped you there are words. Maybe it's words like it's stage four. Or maybe what you're trapping you right now are the words, I don't love you anymore. Or maybe the words that are trapping you right now is, it's Alzheimer's. Or maybe what's trapping you in the deep and the dark and the downed is words from somebody that you love and they say, I've been assaulted. There are lots of situations that people face that seem like there's no way out. And I'm telling you, God works in desperate moments. So we have to keep fighting. The God of light has no problem meeting us in a dark place. Right? All right, so we started here last week in Hebrews chapter 12 with this series. And this is sort of like the central verse. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians that were Jews as well. They believed in the Messiah, Jesus. And they were tempted to give up on Jesus. And so the book of Hebrews is about Jesus is the the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice, the one we've all waited on. Don't stop believing in him, all right? And so in chapter 12, uh we find that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who's observed something take place and they can give an accurate account of what happened, right? Now, what's a cloud? Well, this particular word the book of Hebrews is a very fascinating book, actually. If you read it in, in its Greek form, uh, there are words used in Hebrews that are used nowhere else in the Bible, in the, in the, Greek, in the Greek New Testament. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, very intellectual kind of read from the Greek, and uh, that's why I don't read it. But uh, in the Greek, uh, <laughs> one thing I learned about Greek class is that it's great to have an English translation. So here's the point. The point is, there's a specific word here used for cloud, and it's not like the cloud that we see puffy in the cloud, we lay in her back and imagine it's a puppy dog. This cloud is the fog, like some of you might have driven in, uh, to church in today or yesterday when you were up and about in the morning. It's a, it's a fog bank cloud. And so what the Hebrew writer is telling these Christians who are thinking about giving up, who are thinking about stopping the fight, is he said, don't give up, you're surrounded by a fog, a cloud of heroes of faith who witnessed God deliver them through impossible odds. That's all about chapter 11. Here's what you learn in Bible college. Chapter 11 comes before chapter 12. Isn't that amazing? So uh, in chapter 11, we read about uh, many of these Old Testament heroes who uh, live by faith and not by sight. And so um, last week we talked about Abraham and Sarah. So the, kind of the father of the faithful, right? 
And this week we're reading about his grandson, Jacob. And so Jacob is an interesting character. We read this in Hebrews chapter 11 about Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph, uh, of Joseph, and uh, bowing in worship over his staff. Now, so we got this guy, he's dying, he looks, he's faithful at death, he's blessing, this patriarch is blessing his grandchildren, and, uh, and, he's, and he's worshiping the Lord. Now, if that's all you ever read about Jacob, you would think, man, this, this guy's a guy of stellar faith. Anything but that. Like, you want, so, I always get cracked up when we talk about families in the Bible. You like, my, my, my family, you might say to yourself, you, or you might say about someone else's family behind their back, you might say, man, that family's messed up, or my family's really messed up. Have you read the Bible? Like, there's some really jacked up families in the Bible. And so uh, we're going to read about one of those today, and that's Jacob's family and, and, and what happens uh, where he comes from. Okay, here's what we read in Genesis 25 about Jacob. And, the time, <clears throat> and when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she indeed uh, have twins. Uh, the first one uh, was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. Okay, uh, <laughs> told you. Uh, so uh, they named him Esau, which means red hairy guy. Uh, it fits. Uh, you think I'm joking. All right. Uh, look it up. Then the other twin uh, was born in his, his hand grasping uh, Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. You know what his name means? Heel grabber. Uh, I'm not joking. Uh, I, Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So that was his first mistake, right? <laughs> Having twins at 60. Who does that? Uh, all right. That guy did. Well, Jacob's name could also mean conniver, deceiver, surplanter. We don't use that word very much, but you get conniver, you get deceiver, right? So uh, what was he conniving? What was he deceiving about his entire uh, early existence was that, you see, his brother was firstborn, first out of the womb. Jacob was second. So his brother has the birthright to receive the greater inheritance of all that matters of daddy's stuff. So in that culture, in that day and time, firstborn received, first male-born received the greater lion's share of all the wealth of the family. To keep the family name going on, Jacob did not like that. That did not sit with him well at all. So he began at a very early age deceiving, conniving, surplanting his brother's birthright. The first time this happens is Esau being this red hairy man. He's the Marlboro man, right? Anybody remember Marlboro commercials, right? A guy riding on a horse, you know, smoking a cigarette. Great. Great example for kids. But uh, anyway, uh, he was that guy. He was out hunting, and he had a bad day. He came home very hungry. And Jacob, uh, mama's boy, was making porridge and uh, stew. And uh, Esau comes in famished, uh, feeling like he's going to die of starvation. And he says, give me some of that stuff. And uh, Jacob says, on one condition, brother Esau, you have to sell me your birthright for this bowl of porridge. And he says, done. And so... He gives away his birthright. Now, that didn't make much of a difference at that moment. But when daddy's on his deathbed, it's a big difference, right? So what happens? Daddy's getting ready to die years later. And uh, Jacob conspires, connives with his mom to come up with a plan to fool dad. Daddy is who? Isaac, right? So Isaac's on his deathbed. His, his, his hearing is not so good. His, he's nearly blind. And so uh, uh, Jacob impersonates his brother Esau by wearing uh, a, a, a pelt on his arm and bringing in some food that he said that he had, he had hunted and prepared for his dad. And, and so dad, uh, Isaac, 
blesses who he thinks is Esau. He actually blesses Jacob. He gives him the lion's share of the family wealth under a deception, right? Well, when Esau finds out, you can imagine how mad Esau was. Any parents here have two sons that fight a lot? Any, any, anyone? Raise your hand. You need to talk to my, okay, there's one. So you need to talk to my mom. My mom can tell you something. My mom would walk out of the room crying because my brother and I would attack each other. I told, for, I'll tell this story too, but just quickly. One time my brother took my truck. I don't remember this, but he took my truck. So I grabbed the nearest thing I could find and stuck it in his head. It was a ballpoint pen. It stuck right here. And he walked in. It just went under the skin. Don't, don't judge me. Uh, it did not go in his eye. He, mom said he walked in, the pen's hanging out of his forehead, blood streaming down, and she's like, what have I done? You know, that's why some parents eat their young, right? So anyway, brothers fight. These brothers were in this huge fight. And what do most people do when they're in a fight? You know, they run. They run away. In a stressful situation, people will either fight through it take flight, we're freeze, right? Isn't that true? Most of, us will, most of us will run away, right? If there's a lion, if that lion out in the foyer came alive, I run away, and all I have to do is run faster than you, right? So, so most of us run away. Some freeze up, you know, and so you, you understand our common response to fear is to run away. That is what Jacob did. He ran away. He's going to run away to Laban, a distant family member. They're just going to get the wives. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I just, want to, I just wanted to kind of drill down on just a moment that our common response to a fearful situation is to try to escape it, isn't it? Like, it, it, it'll ruin your day. So this is a picture of my wife, right? She is floating in Crystal River, Florida. Before her is a floating cow called the manatee. God's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man, you talk about ugly. And then in the distance is what? An alligator. Some of you with weak eyes in the back, I'm telling you, there's an alligator in there, right? Now, on our trip up through Crystal River, uh, awaiting this great experience of swimming with these floating cows, I asked our tour guide, who was a very hipster kind of dude from Alaska, who does his summer gig in Florida, I said, hey, our guy told me if there's water in Florida, it's got a gator in it. And he goes, oh, every once in a while there's gators in Crystal River, but they trap them out of here. No problem, no worries. So we drop anchor in this little cove where these manatees are swimming around, and I look over and I, I see an alligator. And I said, hey, hipster dude, that is an alligator. And he goes, don't worry, won't cause you any problems. And I'm like, well, you're the guide, I guess you would know. About that time, uh, my sister-in-law and, and, and brother-in-law, they, they're in the water. My wife's getting ready to get in the water. I'm not going to lose my man card over this. I'd rather die, right, than lose my man card. So I jump in, but the whole time I've got one eye on that gator. I'm, I'm, I, I, most of the time I'm between my wife and the gator until I had it. About an hour into this terrible experience that I don't recommend anyone ever does. Who would ever do this? I paid to do this. Uh, I get out of the boat. And I said to our guide, I was like, I, I can't take it anymore. This gator looking at us is freaking me out. And he says in his hipster voice, oh, dude. That's what they say, right? Oh, dude, did you think that was real? And I was like, yes, I asked you about it. And he goes, oh, that's not real. We just leave that there to make your stories good when you go home. 
So in Christian love, I wound up. He goes, this is no joke. I didn't hit him. <clears throat> thought about it. I said, I said, you know, I thought that was a real alligator. And he goes, you mean you jumped into the water with a live alligator just feet from you? He goes, put it here, dude. That's the biggest thing I've ever heard a guy do. I'm like, right? <laughs> Here's the point. The point of this funny story, right? Fear will ruin your day. It ruined my experience. I never want to go back to Crystal Rivers or manatees. Can you eat a manatee? Maybe. I'll eat them. All right? So the point is this, that, that like when people live in fear, like really, like they, they go through a breakup so they're never going to date again or marry again. They, 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 they're fearful about like their health. They're, uh, you know, uh, always thinking they're going to be sick. They, they think the worst things are going to happen. They're waiting for the shoe to drop. Every time you talk to them, it's like some bad experience is right on the horizon. They're living in fear. Fear distorts our perception of reality and keeps us from fighting for the blessing that only comes through trusting in God. Why, why, what's this thing about fighting for a blessing? If you think the Christian life, if you think following Jesus is like just something you just show up to, like I'll just, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to attach church right here on my sleeve. It's like a little badge thing. No, it doesn't work that way at all. Let me tell you, this is how it works. You have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Your checkbook, your purpose, your, uh, the way you handle relationships, the way you parent, the way you look at the end of all days, right? Like Jesus affects every aspect of your life. Jesus, the church, God is not something you attach as like some type of piece of chrome on your bike, right? It's not that at all. It is the bike, if you will. It is what your life is on like it is like all of that it is it is that completely and so many times you have to fight for that you have to fight for that blessing you can't you, this is the purpose of the series i recognize that there are people within our congregation and extended family and friends that are going through some really difficult times and it's easy to give up when the odds are stacked against you when you're in the deep the dark and the down and so Fear convinces us to give up before we've even tried. Fear keeps us from, fear will, keeping, will keep us from having that conversation you know you need to have. There's somebody you need to talk to about something very important and you're afraid of what might happen. Fear keeps us from making a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know how many people I've talked to like, man, when I get my life together... <laughs> And for those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, we know what we know. What we want to say at that moment, like, "You'll never get your life together, not without Jesus, right?" And and, and so, uh, you know, it keep, fear keeps us from receiving what God wants to give us. But you got to fight for it, man. If you think it's going to fall on your lap, forget that. It doesn't fall on anyone. It's something you have to go for. You have to make a commitment to do, and you can't give up. Jacob ran away from his brother Esau, right? He ran away to Laban. Who's Laban? Laban's going to be his father-in-law. So he's going to go there. He's going to be hoodooed by Laban. You don't want to play Monopoly with this family. I mean, this family was always looking for a scheme, right? So uh, he goes there, and he, he's going to marry two of Laban's daughters, and he's going to work off the bride price. It takes him 14 years to do it. 
So there's 14 years of family history there, and it, it, is, it is, a, is a deal where Laban is always trying to get over Jacob. Jacob's trying to get over Laban. There comes to a moment where Jacob goes, I need to get out of here because tensions have grown so high. So he packs up his family and his belongings and his herds, which are very large, and they head back to his homeland where Esau's at, right? Which he's not excited about that. Anyway, he, he leaves Laban. Now Laban finds out that Jacob has deserted him, and he's going to go after him, not because he cares that he's left, but because Jacob has his idols. Jacob didn't take them. His wife, Rebecca, took them. She hid, hid them. And, uh, and, and, and because idols in those days were symbols of power, if you had somebody's idol, you had like their, you know, you had like their secret weapon, if you will. But uh, so, so Laban comes after him. He catches up with his son-in-law, Jacob, and he's very upset. And he asked him, why did you run? And here's what Jacob says. I rushed away because what? I was afraid. Fear is controlling this guy. Do you see that? He's run away from Esau. Now he's had to run away from Laban, his father-in-law. And here's what he finds out after Laban leaves. He finds out that Esau is coming to meet him. It's been a while. There's been no, re no, no, no reconciliation, right? They don't have like Facebook, like, hey, I'm sorry about ripping you off. Da -da -da -da. Like, that's not there. Esau's coming with 400 of his warriors. So you know what Jacob thinks? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So he comes up with this plan. He can't go back to where Laban's at because they've made a covenant. If he goes back, he's in trouble with him. He can't go, he can't go forward and face head-on Esau. So what he does, he splits his herds and his family into two sections. And he sends one to the left and one to the right. And then he's, gonna, he's thinking that, well, maybe, maybe someone will survive. And you know what he does? He hides in the back. During the night, Jacob, as he's hiding, got up and he took his wives, two servants' wives and 11 sons, and they crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob alone in the camp. But a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him, for now you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Now, this is a very peculiar scripture. If you've never read this before, if this is the first time you're in church, first time you're reading this, you're like, what did I just hear read to me? So this is one of these moments where God puts on flesh and bone and for a brief moment, walks upon the earth we call them technical terms christ theophanies they're appearances of jesus in the old testament just they're very rare they're very very purpose-filled and this is one of these moments where god shows up to jacob in his most fearful moment he can't he's he's caught between a rock and a hard place right he can't go back he can't go forward so he's just going to sit here and freeze well while he's freezing not literally but emotionally god shows up and begins to wrestle with him. And so he does this hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
Now he's not fighting. Now, I mean, now he's fighting and not running, which is a good thing. This is where God's trying to move him to. In that moment, Jacob is transformed from being a cheater to getting a new name, Israel, right? Can you imagine the moment when God asked Jacob, what's your name? Jacob says, um, mm, cheater, <clears throat> deceiver. So it's this humbling moment. Now, here's the point, or a couple of points, right? So good things are possible when we fight for them. You've got to fight for it. You, you might want to feel like giving up. Like, I've been told that sometimes in marital conflicts, if people will just hang, you know, stick it out for a period of three to five years, it seems like a long time, things will resolve themselves. Don't, don't give up. It feels like, like the easiest way out. Is get, yeah, it is the easy way out, but don't run away. Stay and fight for what matters. You have to fight through things to receive the blessing. Jesse Cruz, a uh, young mother we've been praying for for many weeks now. Uh, we, my wife and I got to see her a couple weeks ago when they moved her from UVA to Roman Eagle. Uh, and so we went in her room, and she, be, you know, she's just, you could, anybody, you've worked with people who've been racked with cancer. It's obvious that she's been doing battle with all the treatments, you know, the way her body has been assaulted by all of that. And in that moment, she begins to tell about some of the things that have transpired in that fight of not giving up. Uh, her husband comes to faith. That's pretty cool. Mike comes to faith. Like her dad leads Mike in a prayer and an explanation of what Jesus is about. And he accepts Jesus. I'd say that's pretty cool. And then his, her parents who are divorced uh, their estrangement has uh, ha has been healed because they're caring for their daughter that they love who's facing death. That's pretty cool. So here's what she tells me, and I asked her if I could quote her on this. And she said, you can. She says, cancer sucks, but some good things have come out of it. No truer words have ever been said. And those good things are not that like, she's not completely healed. I mean, she's fighting back. She's working through stuff. But that her husband knows the Lord, that her parents are getting along again. Like, if you're going to receive the blessing, you're going to have to fight for it and not give up. That's the point. That's what we're talking about. And so um, I, I, I looked at her recent, most recent post on Facebook, and it read this way. She said, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not afraid. The Lord is. I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. What are you going to do to kill me? I mean, my retirement plan's out of this world, and so was yours if you know Jesus, right? And so, through the fight comes a blessing. What did Jacob do to earn that new name, Israel? He kept fighting, and he had to confess his weakness. Jacob, what's your name? Deceiver. Conniver. Surplanter. Heel grabber. How embarrassing would that be? He had to confess his weakness and he had to keep fighting. And so God doesn't want to leave you or me like we were after we meet him. You can't, you can't approach this faith thing like it's just something you add into your, into your uh, resume. It is your life. It changes the way you, you, you speak 
the way you think about things, what's most important, relationships and the Lord. Like it changes every fiber of your existence. This idea that we're just going to tack Christianity into our lives and think that that's what it's about is ridiculous. It's a, it has nothing to do with what Jesus taught. Jesus says, unless you deny yourself and pick up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. I mean, he, he, he just lays it out. And God it loves us so much that he will not leave you the same. If you've met Jesus and something hasn't changed, you have not met Jesus. Do you, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you can't wrestle with God and not be changed. And, and so uh, God doesn't want to leave you in addiction or abuse or leave you with the name of fair or financial devastation or diagnosis of, of whatever. So we all have names. We meet, before we meet God, we're addict, but then after we meet him, we're free. Before we were broken, and now we're healed. Before we were alone, and now we're family. Before we were lost, and now we're saved. <clears throat> Do you understand? If you're going to meet this God, he's going he's gonna to touch you. The Hebrew word there is a very gentle touch. It's like, because if, you know, if God slap you upside the head, <laughs> nothing left, right? So it's just a gentle touch. <laughs> I just made that part up. But, but anyway, you're going to walk a different way. I, I've known men who proud, braggadocious, look at me kind of guys meet Jesus and walk in humility and generosity. I've watched, I've witnessed women who were cutting in their words, worry in their words, and meet Jesus, and they become encouragers and women of faith. That's what happens. Jesus begins to change, transform us in the deep, in the dark, and in the down. Our wrestling with God will forever change you, and it changed all of us. And so... Maybe you look back at a moment in your life where you would never want to go through again. It was cancer. It was divorce. It was, it was you were assaulted. It was some terrible thing. I get it. But you know, being on this side of it, it has changed your perception about yourself and God and what life is about. Like, you never want to go through it again. But man, if it hadn't been for that, I would not be this person here now. And so, aren't you glad that you did? Look, we say this all the time here. Every wound has a story and God wastes no pain. Do you believe this? Do you believe God wastes no pain? I want to hear you say it. Do you believe? Say yes. All right, so some of you are going through some painful experiences. God is going to transform that. And it's going to transform your character. And it's going to transform the way you look at life. And oftentimes, that change begins when we're in the deep and the dark and the down. This is a picture of Jose coming out of the mine. And Alex Watts is another guy who did an interview of Jose in his hometown. And he says about this, he says, The hope Jose had spoken about for years in the light before the cave-in, right, seemed so relevant in the dark shadow of the mind. 
When he was talking about Jesus and life was up and to the right, nobody cared. But when there's no way out, no hope, everybody's paying attention. Remember that E.F. Hutton commercial? When E.F. <laughs> everybody's, well, everybody was listening in. You know what Jose did over that period of time? No one had a Bible until they drilled that. They drilled a small chute, kind of tube, down into where they could get some 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 food, some water, and Bibles with the name of each miner embossed on the front cover and T-shirts from <clears throat> the Campus Crusade Ministry that said, uh, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus, on the front of it. That's what he's wearing over his mining clothes. It, all the miners come up with this shirt from the bottom of the earth. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus. The whole world was watching, right? I remember that. And so... Uh, so anyway, during that intermediate time before they had been reached with that, uh, Jose was just sharing with them what he could remember from the Bible, stories that Jesus had talked, uh, taught, you know, his parables and, and things that he could remember. And, and they were like hanging on every word. That's what kept them alive was the hope that Jesus would save them. And he said revival broke out. And so um, each, each guy got a Bible, and I bet you those guys, their lives have been dramatically changed. Or at least I certainly hope so because of that experience. Um, our desperate moments are profound opportunities for God to do amazing things. So in your loneliness, there's an opportunity to discover God's presence. In your fear, there's an opportunity to discover his Peace that passes all understanding. Does, can, I get a, can I get a witness, right? Can I get an amen? A peace that passes all understanding. Like some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what? what? What's that? I'm going to tell you something. There, <laughs> I heard this the other day. A uh, preacher was talking about this or some theologian. Some things are taught and some things are experienced. The peace that passes all understanding. It's, it's, you can read the verse. But until there's this moment where you have nowhere to turn, where, like, it's just God, like, you'll get it. Like, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, in your weakness, there's an opportunity to discover his strength. Right? Paul brags on his weakness. Like, in my weakness, I experience God's amazing ability to work through me. In your darkness, there's an opportunity to discover his light. And so our hero of faith, Jacob, who's not much of a hero... Is he? Not really. He's a lot like us. Pretty broken. I mean, some of you might just be offended right now. Sorry. <laughs> Not trying to offend anyone. But we're all pretty broken and pretty weak at times. And we're like, can God really save me? Oh, have you, have you read the Bible? Have you saw some of the characters that he chose to bring his Messiah through? Um, in your darkness, there's an opportunity to discover his light. And so our hero of faith is saying, stop running. And fight for God's blessing. In the deep. In the dark. And in the down. Let's pray. Father God I thank you for this opportunity. To uh, walk through this passage of scripture. And most of all Father. <laughs> I thank you for being this amazing God of rescue. It is absolutely stunning. What you are able to do. When the odds are impossible. And so Father. All things are possible with you. You are more than able to make us, uh, to transform us from being whatever to sons and daughters. Uh, you are able to, to deliver us from insurmountable odds. It seems like there's no way out. It seems like there's no way there's a new life. But I know 
from the cloud of witnesses and from the witnesses that are in this room that you were able to do more than we can imagine. And so, Father, I pray for each one here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.